Hello and Merry Christmas. Welcome back to the Talking Thomas podcast, your podcast for all things Thomas and Friends related, Chiming Time Station, etc, etc. I'm Orion. And I'm Tony. And today we are going to be doing a commentary on the Shining Time Station Christmas special, the first Christmas episode of Shining Time Station, wedged in between season one and season two of the show, uh, released in 1990. And this is Tis a Gift. Yes, um, and uh, it, it is the first and uh, only uh, Christmas uh, episode that uh, Shining Time Station got. All there was an episode that aired on Christmas uh, in a, on a, during a different season, but that episode didn't actually happen uh, to have anything to do with Christmas. It just happened to air on that day. Um, but uh, Tis a Gift is one of my personal favorite episodes, and I'm really excited to uh, be doing a commentary on this one, especially, you know, because it is uh, within a few days of Christmas. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, so we're just going to get right into it. Um, if you have the episode pulled up on uh, however you've uh, managed to find it um, on VHS or, or otherwise, you can go ahead and press play now. And see, I think that Tis a Gift is really sort of the bridge between seasons one and two, because while it's very much a season one episode, it even has a season one production code. Um, it's also got some of the hallmarks of season two. Uh, they moved up to Toronto by the time they filmed this. Uh, the kids are a little bit older, uh, and there's a bit more that happens in this episode than the typical season one episode. Uh, Orion and I have commented before that not a lot happens in season one until like you get to the last two or three episodes. Yeah, absolutely. And this um, uh, something we uh, we talked over the the intro here, but I like the intro for this episode, particularly. It's nice that it has a variation on the typical opening of the series in that right. it does feature uh, a snowy background instead of just the standard. Um, right. And, and that was one of the other points I was going to make is that this is both a transition in in what I mentioned earlier, but also in the way the intro is done because the original airing of season one would have had the clip show opening. But then when we get to uh, Tis a Gift, which was aired a year after season one, it has the same style font with some Christmassy editions as season one, but it also has, but it doesn't feature the clip show that season, that season one would. It, fe- it just features a steam locomotive in the background, which is more akin to the way that seasons two and beyond would do it. Right. Absolutely. We just missed um, a, a funny little uh, tidbit of Ringo Starr, Mr. Conductor singing uh, a piece of the lumberjack song from uh, Monty Python. Ah, uh, classic. Um, <sighs> these little song parodies of uh, schemer are quite amusing as well. Yes. And here's the great Mark Holzwit as uh, uh, JB King. Yes, Mr. J.B. King Esquire, uh, who, uh, if you followed the season one reviews, we, you know, we, we've skipped over most of season one, but that's actually fine. We did, of course, see him in some of the other commentaries we've done, particularly the Thanksgiving episode. Uh, but this is really the first time chronologically that we would have seen uh, J.B. King if we skip over most of season one. Right. 
Now, also, of course, I'm going back to the transitional phase. Here we get Tucker Cooper, who, because I because this was my only exposure to season one for the longest time, I had always thought that Tanya and Harry's last name was Cooper because Tucker's last name is Cooper. And it was only when I got older that I realized that, no, they just made Tucker's last name Cooper, which is remarkably similar to Harry and Tanya's last name, a Cooper. Right, absolutely. And uh, we can give a, a brief plot synopsis here of what happens in this episode. It's a, it's a, a bit longer than a typical Shining Time Station episode. Um, it is. So uh, a brief synopsis here. Uh, the schemer is campaigning to be chosen as Santa's helper for the Indian Valley uh, Gala holiday pageant, and then a mysterious elderly stranger by the name of Mr. Nicholas, Santa Claus, of course, visits the station and seems to know a lot about the Shining Time Station residents. And uh, a definitely a, a, a certain uh, pedigree of acting here uh, shows up in Lloyd Bridges. Um, oh, yes. You know, a, a caliber of actor that wouldn't really grace the series again um necessarily but uh but he's a a nice guest star on this episode well well you say that but i think that they sort of reserve the higher caliber higher caliber actors rather for the one hour specials because it seems that the other one hour specials uh, particularly i would say once upon a time with Ed Bedley Jr. You know, I mean, obviously Ed Bedley Jr. and Lloyd Bridges are two very different actors, but, you know, uh, they seem to reserve the extremely famous guest cameos for the one-hour specials. Right, absolutely true, and um, as well as Terry Garr in One of the Family. And Jack Plugman in Second Chances. Right. And we even have a Queen Elizabeth impersonator in uh, Queen for a Day. (laughs) And immediately... Uh, this is different from a season one episode in that we're already in the jukebox and it's only about five minutes in. Well, this is a very musical episode. Um, you know, we have the jukebox puppet band singing and then Schemer was singing his little Christmas song parodies right. about money making. And then uh, Mr. Conductor was singing his lumberjack song snippet there. So uh, lots of little musical pieces throughout the episode. Which I think is quite fitting for Christmas because, you know, Christmas... There's a lot of Christmas music out there, and so it made sense that there would be uh, a lot of music in a Christmas special, particularly since Shining Time Station does feature several types of music throughout its lifetime. True, absolutely. I guess I never really think of Over the River and Through the Woods as a Christmas song. but No, I used to think of it more for Thanksgiving, uh, but I... I've been told by other people that it is uh, supposed to be about Christmas, but I could see it being about either. Yeah, absolutely. The other the other songs that they sing throughout the episode are much more Christmas Definitely. focused. Definitely. And it's interesting because this episode was taped and aired a year after season one. The the changes, particularly in the kids and how they've grown over the course of a year is very apparent right from the offset. Right. Absolutely. I mean, but the set, uh, what's interesting is that the set doesn't really look that much different. Um, a little different, but, uh, not too much different considering that they moved to Toronto. They did 
as accurately as possible recreate this set. I think it's a very, uh, very nice duplication of the original set because there's not that much that's different. And of course, the things that are different are sort of masked by all of the Christmas decorations. Right, absolutely. So here we have, uh, obviously he would have appeared earlier in season one, but we have Jerome Dempsey as Mayor Flopdinger. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and uh, a nice, a nice character actor here. And uh, he get he gets some fun stuff to do throughout the whole series. Yes. I like that sweater Stacy's wearing because normally we just see Stacy in the, uh, you know, the red jacket that she wears and it's a variation on that, but it's got some blue stripes and it looks, it's very appropriately festive, I feel. Oh, absolutely. So... My first exposure to this was, of course, on VHS, because when I was a kid, I, uh, my parents uh, and various other relatives got me a couple of the Shining Time Station VHSs. And this was, you know, one of my Christmas presents one year was Tis a Gift. And uh, so it was not only my first exposure to season one, but also my uh, one of the first times I had seen, you know, Shining Time multiple on multiple occasions. It's quite interesting. I I first discovered it on you know on YouTube basically. Um, uh, you know, when I became a Thomas fan, when I was probably you know I probably saw this when I was twelve or thirteen, probably. Right. That would make sense. So, now, am I correct in saying that the uh, that for the VHS they featured the stories Thomas's Christmas Party and Thomas and the Missing Christmas Tree? Yes. Whereas in the the TV version, um, which happens to be the version that we are uh, both watching at the moment and right. commenting on, that version um, features. Uh, Thomas Terrence in the Snow or Terrence the Tractor for U.S. releases and Thomas's Christmas Party. That's exactly correct. Uh, yes, and so that's the version that I'm most familiar with. And watching this version of the episode has it it, it makes it makes more sense than the VHS version because of Mr. Conductor's reference about Thomas going without his snowplow. Uh, because of course, in Thomas's Christmas Party, that doesn't quite happen. But right, it's interesting that they why they picked those other two. I guess yeah. they wanted you know two explicit Christmas stories, you right. know, as opposed to a winter story. Um, I'm not quite sure, but um, right. quite quite interesting. It is, and uh, I, I again, th- I'm not as familiar with the uh TV. I mean, of course, I'm familiar with the episodes that it's in, and that's really the only difference between uh the VHS and the televised version of it, but. I, I just find it interesting that they replaced those two, but kept Mr. Conductor's little intro and outro to each episode exactly the same. And, uh, um, particularly because for Mr. Uh, sorry, for Thomas and the missing Christmas tree, it's the only time that we get to hear Ringo's UK narration of an episode. Right. And uh, my, my guess behind it is that they were trying to, they picked those two episodes because at the time those would have been the only episodes that would not have been released on VHS. Right. Uh, because you know, 
uh, all the other season one and most of the season two episodes, I shouldn't say most, but some of the season two episodes had been released on VHS at that point in 1990. Yes. Um, at least with the first couple um U.S. VHS releases of Thomas Gets Tricked, James Learns a Lesson, uh, Thomas Breaks the Rules, and Tenders and Turntables. Right. Um, I'm not sure if Better Late Than Never was in that group as well. And so that featured some season two. But, you know, Thomas's Christmas Party, the VHS, wasn't released until quite a bit later. So I think 93 probably. So, right. Um, so this the- – ended up being they were able to sell it i'm sure you know with two episodes never before seen you know on video or whatever which is the same thing they use to market uh the two stories that they put on sing-along and stories too uh, later for the season four release because it featured bulldog and peter sam and their freshman lady two episodes that they did not put on any of the other releases although they would have although bulldog would have made more sense on a different uh Yes. on a different uh, tape with the other Duke stories, but they split all those up. They split You Can't Win up with other episodes as well. So, Right. And the 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 thing about that is, yes, most of the season one episodes, the only exception the only exception to that uh, to what you said about all of the season one episodes being out, the only exception to that would have been Whistles and Sneezes, which was released on the Daisy VHS, which I think was like 91 or 92. So, right. Well, uh, yeah, I probably, yeah, nine, 93, I think. But, oh, it could yeah. have been 93. Yeah. But around there, yeah. Somewhere in the early 90s. <laughs> so, uh, but yes, so, but uh, of course, we'll have already done a full commentary on uh, Thomas Terrence in the Snow or Terrence the Tractor, however you want to uh, reference it. Uh, but it is. Uh, to repeat stuff that we've probably said in that commentary, it is one of the highlights of season one, I feel this episode. Right. Absolutely. And, uh, and, you know, this is the last, these are the last two stories that Ringo told, you know, for us television. Right. That's right. Because in season two, he was uh, replaced by, uh, George Carlin. And, uh, this episode, of course, uh, if you've seen the episode, which I, if you're listening to this commentary, I assume that you will have seen the episode. Otherwise, why would you, uh, why would the first time watching it be with two people talking over it? Um, you know, of course, we find out why at the end of this episode. Absolutely. So. Yes. I've always liked that shot of the uh, Terrence pulling a snowy Thomas out of the uh, snowbanks. Oh, Definitely. And then he's almost instantly cleaned off. So <laughs> very quickly. <laughs> yes. The joys of stop motion animation. So uh, I, I have to ask, uh, because obviously it makes more sense for the episodes to be in this order. But um, wh- what? Speaking of personal preference, per se, which version of Tizzy Gift do you prefer, the TV one or the VHS one? I would personally say the VHS one just because they're both Christmas episodes. So right. It does make more more sense in terms of a logic standpoint with, with Mr. Conductor's intro. Obviously, the, the other one makes more sense. But right. The TV version, rather. 
I would have to agree as well. Uh, I, I grew up with the VHS one, of course, and in fact, didn't even know that there was two different versions of the episode until I was in my teens and discovered the online Thomas community. Right, and Tis a, uh, Tis a Gift is one of the few Shining Time VHSs that I do not have a copy of. Oh. Um, all the other ones, I, I don't actively seek out uh, most uh, Thomas you know, you know, uh, collectibles or well, no, you know, vintage things or finds or VHSs or whichever. I more, I more like to just discover them. Um, so if I find them at a Goodwill or a, um, or an not an antique store, but uh, <laughs> but you know, a thrift shop or something like that, then right. I enjoy. Um, then I enjoy that. If we're still talking about this in fifty years, they might be in an antique store. But for right now, uh, that I found, I have found quite a few Shining Time Station videos at, at thrift stores. And actually, a couple years ago, at a local um, Goodwill store in my area, I oh. found three Shining Time VHSs in very good condition. They were all right next to each other on the shelf, and I snatched them immediately. And I believe that uh, they were. Um, a copy of uh, Schemer's Special Club and uh, another copy of Becky Makes a Wish, which I already have, and another copy of A Day in the Life with a Jukebox Puppet Band, which I think I actually have three copies of. Oh, wow. Uh, but uh, that, that one <laughs> I've actually seemed to, to luck out and find. And, and I believe one of them I found with the decals. Um, oh, nice. The original stickers and decals that were inside there. But, uh, but we'll certainly do a commentary on that in the future. Oh, yes. Um, but by contrast, I Tisgift was one of the few Shining Time Station VHSs that I had uh, because I had, aside from Tisgift, I had Steamer Alone, which I found at my at the time local library, and then uh, the only other VHSs I had were ones that my parents had recorded, which were of Once Upon a Time, Second Chances, Queen for a Day, and I don't know which episode, but one of the episodes of Mr. Conductor's Thomas Tales. So, hmm. yes. So, this, this was one of my favorite scenes uh, when I was a kid was uh, Steamer and Stacy arguing about Santa's helper while Steamer is stuffing his face. Absolutely. And Brian O'Connor really just, you know, took took the character by the horns and just ran with it. He he got better and better as the series went on, and and just really made that character his own. Yes, I mean the man, and they, they gave him a lot of stuff to do too with the yes. with Schemer Presents, and and of course, you know, Schemer became a much more prominent character than I'm sure that they had originally anticipated. Yes, I mean, well, it, it's no wonder they sort of almost gave him within reason, of course they sort of gave him free reign with the character after a while, because if you notice in the credits of, of several episodes, uh, you know, it, it says additional material written by Brian O'Connor. Right. Yeah. I mean, the man's comedic gold in this, <laughs> in the series. Right. Absolutely. And he had improv experience. Um, there's actually, um, and, and some sketch comedy experience. There's a, if, if you're able to find it out on YouTube, there is a copy of a, um, 
it was a, a filmed for TV, a, a filmed stage show, essentially, with um, called National Lampoon's Class of 86. Right. Um, that he's featured in, as well as some other famous names that you might recognize now, um, such as John Michael Higgins. He's uh, He pops up in lots of different movies, and that was one of his first things that he did. And then also Roger Bumpus is one of the main two people in that, and he is the voice of Squidward on SpongeBob. I was going to say that name sounds super familiar. I figured that was who you were talking about. But very funny. I mean, a bit dated in its material since it is, it's it's mostly full of topical references to oh, yes. the 80s. Um, not necessarily 1986 specifically, but the 80s in general. Um, but it's, it's a fun, it's a fun time capsule and definitely something that, that people should seek out National Lampoon's class of 86. Nice. And here, of course, we have the introduction of, of Sir Lloyd Bridges as Mr. Nicholas. So Sir Lloyd, I, is it, really is, it, is it, is it, <laughs> is it, is it, I just assumed he was, I, he might not be, I don't know. <laughs> He's American. So probably not then. <laughs> Of course, Lloyd Bridges is the father of Jeff and Bo Bridges. Yes. Yes. And very funny in the movie Airplane. Oh, yes. <laughs> also, he's, a, he's in a couple episodes of Seinfeld as well. Yeah. Um, in, the later, in the later seasons um, as, a, as a trainer. He might just be in one episode, but I believe he's in two. Um, but very, mm-hmm. very funny. Very funny bit. But of course, he, he, was a, yeah, he was a serious actor in his day. Oh, yes. Yes, definitely. I mean, you, you can tell that he's a that's not to write from the get go, and it actually kind of elevates. He he's one of the best parts of this episode, in my opinion. Well, one would hope if he's a, if he's especially billed guest star, one would hope that he's not dragging down the well, of course, <laughs> the proceedings, <laughs> of course. But you know, it's just every scene he's in just sort of elevates the series, which I mean, of course, is the point. But you know, I think it just shows what a good actor he is that it's. It, it's it's made even a season one episode fan one of my favorites really right absolutely now do they ever say where indian valley is located exactly no it's it's supposed to be from my from all my research and i have done some research on this the indian valley railroad is supposed to be any town usa but i'm pretty certain that it's supposed to be somewhere in uh, the Toronto area of Canada, and not just because they filmed seasons two and forward there. I believe it was either supposed to be somewhere in, in Toronto or on uh, Toronto, Ontario, or I've, I've heard California, but I'm dubious of that claim. Yeah, I always imagine somewhere possibly in the, in the, in the plains, somewhere in the Midwest. Yeah, um, I can see that. Somewhere like that, because obviously they have snow. Right. But at the same time, you know, if you look at the mural, there's uh, stuff. I mean, I know it's supposed to be about the the history of transportation and yes. whichever, but there's there's still cacti on the mural um, and things like that. So there right. are some other hints here and there uh, that, and of course, the exterior footage that they shot was never consistent. So you no. know, it, it's impossible to say. And and I it was their intention to create kind of an, an anywhere that it could be um but uh but definitely has a feeling of maybe somewhere in the midwest yes and uh, of course uh we we talked over it but we had the introduction of rachel minor as vicky uh the the only character aside from becky who never got a last name 
and uh, I, who is probably one of the most well-developed characters in the show that's not an adult. Right. Uh, definitely the character that goes through the biggest transformation in only one episode. She actually looks quite a bit like, um, like Becky, the actress who played Becky. She does, yeah. I, I never noticed that, but uh, it is interesting how Rachel Miner and Daniel Marcotte look kind of similar. And, you know, perhaps that's why they brought in three kids for season two. Who knows? <laughs> uh, of course, we have the Jukebots puppet band doing Jingle Bells now, a much more Christmassy song than their previous. Absolutely. A bit more upbeat as well. <laughs> yes. So. And and with all of these, I do. I really like. I like all of the music in, in the the Jukebots Puppet Band does, but particularly in this episode because it was one of the few episodes that I'd seen regularly. Uh, there's something very special, not just about the episode, but about the songs that the Jukebox perform and the way that they perform them in this episode. Uh, I mean, we've heard with with one exception, uh, which we'll get to when it comes. We've heard most of these Christmas songs before because they're classics. Uh, and so it's interesting to hear it, the, the, the Fletcher tunes always gave the jukebox puppet band a very unique interpretation of all of their songs. Right. Of course. Absolutely. Um, overall, a, a wonderful asset for the series. Yes. I like uh, Schemer's red and green plaid yes. jacket. That's a nice touch. That, in fact, now, one would think that that was, you know, the red and green is mostly because of the Christmas episode, but the red and green plaid coat is one of the most iconic Schemer outfits there is. In fact, so iconic that when uh, the uh, Bendham figurines of the characters came out, is steamer's bendham figurine was in the red and uh, red and green plaid i always wanted those i i always saw i see them on ebay from time to time but never again i've, I've never found one on my you know in my uh searching you know in in the real world as opposed to on ebay where i can buy it with a click of a button it's a right. bit more fun to to hunt and and search uh, and stumble upon things, but I've never, never stumbled upon any other Shining Time Station merchandise. Just the, uh, just the VHSs. Right. Never, never any books. Not that there were that many put out, but uh, no. uh, never too many books. Or, uh, or uh, they had that uh, cookie jar and the coin bank and some other items too. Right. My my grandma actually had the uh, most of the Bendham's figurines, uh, the Jukebox puppet band, Mister Conductor, Stacy, and Steamer. I don't know if there were any others other than that, but uh, she had those. Uh, she got them for me, of course, uh, but they stayed at uh, her house. I think she ended up giving them to a family friend uh, several years ago, though. But I do have a distinct memory of playing with those at her house. So, nice, mm, fun. <laughs> yes. So. And this this scene right here with Steamer uh, trying to poison candidates against each other becomes a recurring thing, of course, uh, in <laughs> in this episode. 
And I always love the way that Steamer's lies become more and more outrageous as the episode goes on. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Um, as, of course, does the scene, uh, the scene that we just talked over, which was uh, uh, the first scene showing that uh, Mr. Nicholas has knowledge about characters at Shining Time that aren't that, that most people wouldn't have knowledge of. So, um, it was very eloquently put. I know. <laughs> it's it's funny that for for a radio DJ, the eloquence of my words doesn't always uh, come across very well. So. Right. Absolutely. Yes. For those who don't know, uh, Tony does a uh, does a, uh, it's weekly, correct? Weekly radio show. Uh, yeah, it's it's a two hour weekly show, uh, Wednesday nights, um, eight to ten Central Time. But a uh, little bit of uh, shameless self plug there. Um, <laughs> and for being the for being the two central guest stars, I mean, of course, it's important that they work well. I love the chemistry between Vicky and Mister Nicholas. They have great chemistry. And I, I think they work so well together. Oh, absolutely. I don't think none of the kids really went on to have that big of a career, except for Erica Latrell, but that's season two. None, none of the season one kids really went on to do a huge career in acting, I think. Not in acting. Jason Woliner, um, he actually writes and directs. Um, right. And he has worked on, I think, quite a few Adult Swim shows. Um, right. And has, has worked on some other um, things uh, of that nature. And then uh, I, I was actually just looking up Rachel Miner, and Rachel Miner um, was on Supernatural for four years. Was she? She played the character Meg Masters. Oh, Okay. Um, she, and she was actually married to Macaulay Culkin. Oh, wow. For four years. Huh. That's fascinating. You learn something new every day. Yes. Um, but she, (laughs) uh, very unfortunately, she was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis in 2010. Um, but she does continue to act. Um, she, she's still she's still uh going at it so that's great but yeah but yes this was this was her uh this was one of her first roles right. she was on the soap opera guiding light for five years um, and that was her breakout role but she started that the same year that she was in this and also in the woody allen movie alice ah okay very nice not woody allen's best movie but uh but a movie worth checking out if you're if you're a woody allen fan oh sure but other than that, um, she's not oh, not a, a super distinguished uh, film career. Um, m- definitely more TV right oriented. Um, she was in. Looks like she was in a few episodes of Sons of Anarchy. Um, but as I said, she was a, a apparently a a pretty decent sized character on Supernatural. Right. I, I will. I, I, I will say of, of all the facts that I am most of all the facts I never expected to find out about 
actors who were in Shining Time Station. The fact that she was married to Macaulay Tolkien is the most surprising. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm really surprised that I um, that I never do that. Yeah. Um, but I but it's interesting. I mean, they have the same they can sh- they have they can share a mutual experience of of being child actors. Of course. So, of course, you know, Macaulay Culkin at a completely different level, but well, um, yeah, because he was in the Home Alone and, movie and and uh, money. Yes. But uh, um, but anyway, we 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 got off on a tangent there. That's okay. Um, but uh, yes, but uh, yeah, J- Jason Warliner does still do some other okay uh, some other work, but I'm pretty sure he's he's all behind the camera right now. He he stopped acting after he you know grew up. Um, yes, he he. He was very involved with the show Eagle Heart, starring Chris Elliott on Adult Swim. Oh. And he also has directed episodes of The Last Man on Earth, Parks and Rec, um, and some other shows as well. But... Right. Nicole Rochelle, uh, I, she's credited in Shining Temptation as Nicole Leach, and that is her name, but she now goes by the name of Nicole Rochelle. Uh, she's done other things as well. I can't think of anything offhand, but I know that uh, she was still acting. I'm not sure if she still is or not, but uh, I know she was. Nothing, nothing huge from what I recall, but still does something. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I um, yeah, I, I don't think that she's super, super active. Again, more of a child actress, right? Um, As all of the kids in Shining Time were. Right, absolutely. Yeah, she uh, uh, looks like she was in the Babysitters Club, um, right? And then she was also on four episodes of the Cosby Show, which at the time uh-huh. was the was the number one series on television. Yes. Um, but uh, but yeah, it looks like a, a couple things here and there uh, throughout the years. But that was pretty much her. Uh, she's mostly known for being in the Babysitters Club. Right. Those classics of. 90s nostalgia oh yes <laughs> now, a little uh, definitely before my time and not really my general uh milieu as it were but uh no but certainly had its uh had its place in oh yes. in the lives of children for a while oh yes uh i i can't say that i've ever watched the babysitter's club either it's not really my thing but uh i it was it was popular when i was a kid so yeah i actually follow um Erica Luttrell on Facebook. Ooh. And she she posts some of the things that she works on and um and I believe that she recently got married as well. Well that's lovely. Um this song that they're playing here, Christmas Time at the Railway Station, is of the jukebox puppet band songs in this episode is probably my favorite. Uh in fact, I've played it on my radio show a couple of times throughout uh, various Christmases. Uh, it's not my favorite song of the episode, though. That comes later in the show. But uh, but it's one of... It's probably my favorite of the Jukebox songs in this episode. Yeah, it's a nice little montage here that we're seeing with the other... Um, you know, with, with some of these station patrons. Yes. I think that the it's interesting because I think that the change in format to having this be a one hour special 
was a good choice because all the stuff that they have puffed into this, all the stuff they have in this episode would never fit into a half hour show. Of course, uh, even with the, there's not that much padding, even for a season one episode, which is surprising, which that's why I said earlier in the episode that this doesn't feel like a season one episode. No, it's interesting. Let's say it seems that with some of the other episodes, you know, with, when they're shorter, they have, they come up with a much simpler plot and then it's hard for them to flush it out. But if they know that it's going to be longer, then they're able to come up with a more complex plot. And then they suddenly have a lot of material to work with. Um, you know, and of course, you know, there are, there's songs, there's three jukebox puppet band songs. There's one um, picture machine song, and then there's two Thomas episodes. So, you know, total that probably adds up to, well, at least, at least nine minutes for the Thomas episodes. And then right. if you add in the other stuff, that's probably another five or six minutes total. Um, yeah. So, you know, you're, you're really only writing, you know, maybe, uh, you know, 35 minutes of material. Right. But, but, but still. still, those 35 minutes don't feel, if they are padded, then it's very good. It's very well disguised padding. No, right. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, and of course, this being on PBS, they, they wouldn't have had commercials. So um, so their episodes were able to be a bit longer than than typical network episodes at the time. Right. Yes. I, I would go as far as to say that this is my favorite season one episode. I would say so. It, it's certainly the best, um, the best written. I mean, I, uh, uh, a place unlike any other is nice just because it's the first one um, and yeah. it has a certain kind of magic and they're, they're still finding their way. Um, but, uh, but this is probably the, the best written one, certainly. Right. I love that J.B. King left Mr. Tendutter a Christmas present and that Mr. Tendutter actually wears it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's the, very the nice. The relationship between, or, you know, the so-called relationship between J.B. King and Mr. Conductor over the years is, is, is nice and charming. It is. This, was one of, this has always been one of my favorite scenes. Uh, and I mentioned earlier how good these two actors are together. But this scene in particular with Vicky and Mr. Nicholas has always been one of my favorite scenes of the episode. <sighs> Which is interesting to say because there it's it's one of the few scenes without any of the main characters from Shining Time in it. Right. Yeah, quite true. But it, it's a uh, you know uh, shows that they were able to break out a little bit of their normal formula and write for other characters in this episode, which is great. Right. Which they never would have done prior to this. Almost every scene had a different Shining Time uh, character with the with the guest of the week. This is the first time I believe that they would have had two of the guest of the week characters in a scene with absolutely no Shining Time characters. Right. Absolutely. Now this is the song that I mentioned earlier. This the hobo song is my all-time favorite song of the episode. I don't know why, but ever since I was a little kid, this song has gotten to me. Yeah, it's a nice, it's a nice song. 
And um, I like that they use a, they have an LGB uh, train set at the beginning of the episode, or beginning of the episode, beginning of the song. Yes. Um, and of course, this, I, I seem to have a thing for uh, song sung by this person. Uh, this song is sung by Kevin Ross, who, uh, as we previously mentioned, did uh, the song in, uh, did the Picture Machine song in the Thanksgiving episode as well as uh, the theme song to Shining Time Station. Right, absolutely. Um, and he still, uh, he still puts out, I, I believe he still puts out some material. He um, does. And, uh, but yeah, great, great voice. Oh, yes. I, 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 did, I do follow him on Facebook, and every now and then he does put out uh, some uh, material. So it's nice to see that he's uh, – it's always nice any time I hear that any of the people who worked on Shining Time are still doing things. Oh, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. (sighs) But this moment right here with the little kid and the old man, oh, man, it gets me. Yeah, I mean it's it's a I don't know it's a, it's a little it's cheesy. It's a little I know for my taste. But... I know it's so cheesy, but I love it's, it. It's a bit much. <laughs> it is it is a bit much. I totally understand that, but I love cheese. I it's don't definitely know a 1990 PBS Christmas special. Exactly. That that pretty much that pretty much sums it up right there. Exactly. I mean, this kid has this kid has a mullet for. Oh yes. Uh, yeah, for Pete's sake. So <laughs> it's it's 1990. The mullet is the, the mullet hasn't yet gone out of style, and it's it's about to go out of style, but it hasn't quite just yet. Um, and it definitely uh, we've mentioned before that Shining Time Station is technically timeless, but it's also very dated. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, just more so dated in, in in its execution than in any specific references or. Right. Or anything, they did a wonderful job of, of keeping it completely timeless and, and all yes. of its references because most yes. of it is just pure uh, American uh, Americana, really. I mean, in terms of American railroad imagery, and you know, and right, it's just you, you think of it in the same, same vein as you know, circuses and um, baseball and apple pie and you know, things exactly. like that. It's definitely very American. Um, yes. And as we've said before, that's the great irony that it, it only exists because of a British cultural institution, right? Of uh, of Thomas. So exactly. Who we sometimes, I you know, it's 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 funny. We get so wrapped up in the actual Shining Time Station part of these episodes that sometimes I forget why we're even like uh, the, the, that. Thomas is in this. Oh, I do. <laughs> you know? I I do. All especially in these the one hour episodes. I I get so wrapped up in the storyline in these one hour episodes that I almost completely forget. Oh, wow. Thomas is in this. Yeah. Oh, that's why I'm watching it. (laughs) Exactly. Although it has gotten, uh, for the one hour shots, I do actually watch for the characters. Right. Absolutely. But I mean, the initial, you know, behind watching it was, Oh, for Thomas was, was completely Thomas based. Yeah. Definitely. Do Schemer and Mare Flopdinger have a lot of scenes together, typically? I don't believe so. I, this I, is one I think of the that's probably one of the few, yes. I mean, aside from 
maybe the mayor runs for re-election, I'm sure, because Mayor Flopdinger was the central character of that episode. I'm sure that they had some scenes together in that. It's been a long time since I've watched that episode. But um, I'm pretty certain that this is one of the few times that they would have had scenes together. And had any meaningful dialogue. We were just talking about Thomas. Here he is. We're here he is uh, at a second story stop, as they used to say on the uh, VHSs, um, yes. of uh, Thomas's Christmas party. Yes, which, uh, depending on when you're listening to this, we either have or will soon have done a commentary on this episode. We're saving it for uh, Christmas, and uh, this and another episode are going to be coming out within a few days of each other. I would assume. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah, but you, if you depends on which order you want to listen to these in, but either either you have listened to it or you will listen to our commentary on. Yes. On it. Yes. So we won't we won't talk too much about the episode at the no. moment, but uh, um, but if it's nicely in this in this episode, and it's nice to hear Ringo's U.S. narration of uh, of the episode. That's right, because this would have been the only time that the U.S. narration of this episode was used as well, wouldn't it? Because on the VHS, we got George Carlin's narration. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it is interesting how much of... Because season one, of course, in 1989, both seasons one and two of Thomas the Tank Engine and Friends were out. And so they could choose to use Americanized versions of any episodes from those first two seasons. Uh, so it is interesting how uh, many of the season two episodes, we only get Ringo's narration because of Shining Time Station. Right, absolutely. Um, of course, I mean, that, that's the only reason why they're even in the U.S. period. But, well, yes. Um, or at least that's the only reason why they would have been redubbed for U.S. release. At the um, time. Yeah, absolutely. Now, what's interesting here is I know that we're watching the... Uh, TV version. Of course, some people might be watching the VHS version and they could be seeing Thomas and the Missing Christmas Tree. Uh, So what's interesting to me is I mentioned earlier, or we mentioned earlier rather, that uh, Missing Christmas Tree is Ringo's UK narration. They leave out all references to the Fat Controller. So anytime Sir Topham Hatt says something, he just says something and there is no said Sir Topham Hatt or anything like that. He just has a line of dialogue and then it's like silent for a minute we or we did a music cue for a minute or something like that very strange because for some reason missing christmas tree is the only episode shown in the u.s that is the only ringo star episode shown in the u.s that ringo didn't redub for american audiences well right but that makes sense because when it was if if they put it on the vhs then he would have already been done with the series right? at that time um, that it was released for VHS. They just pulled the, the UK master and said, hey, let's throw this on this tape. Right. Um, and, uh, and, but, you know, obviously because they had had, um, they had had child uh, and, you know, television writing consultants, child psychology consultants work with them um, to make the show more uh, PC friendly for American audiences at the time. Um, They would, they knew that they at least needed it to edit out any references to using the word fat. Yes. So they could leave everything else. So, so um, I'm not sure if the word trucks is used at all in 
in Thomas and the Missing Christmas Tree. I mean, uh, it, it might be at, at some point, but um, but that would be an example of the UK terminology that would not have switched over, I suppose. Right. But I, I'm not sure if that's in there or not. And I I I don't believe so, actually. But uh... probably not. I I can't imagine any reason why it would have been. Right. Um, but there might be some other tiny bits of that was just the one that sticks out to me well yeah big difference every time they say trucks they have to say freight cars and in the first it feels like in the first season of thomas they say trucks a lot oh yes they do Um, more so than any other season yeah or it just depends when it is so yeah so there's so many times where they had to redub it for right freight cars including an entire episode troublesome trucks had to be renamed foolish freight cars of course um but we already went over that. Of but course. now the episodes uh, that that was the end of Thomas's Christmas party. Um, and we're yes. back with uh, Mr. Conductor sitting with sitting with the kids. Yes. So, and it is nice to see. I mean, of course, v, as I said, Vicky does get the most character development of any child in the series, uh, at least in season one. Matt and Tanya get a little bit this episode as well because you know they start out pretty much loathing the idea of Vicky being at the station, but then they sort of get used to her and want to become friends with her towards the end, but it also helps that she became much nicer. That usually helps when you're trying to make friends. Well, yes. <laughs> yeah. I do like Schemer's uh, Santa suit. Here. I love it. I love it's more of a Santa. It's more of a, I mean, not Santa, Santa's helper suit, I suppose, but yeah. it's more of a more of a jester suit really than an elf suit but it is but i i think it's fun i i like it 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 carries over the red and green from the plaid suit i mean of course it's christmas so it kind of has to because red and green are the color of the season um but i do like how it no matter what steamer is wearing he always has his little uh coin uh holder I always wanted one of those when I was younger. I mean, of course, like I said, I've said previously, I only grew up watching one Shining Down Station episode a right. lot, which was Becky Makes a Wish, but he has that in that episode. And so when I was younger, I always wanted one of those coin holders. Yes. But, uh, But no, uh, so, so what do you make of uh, Steamer's uh, cr- cr- Santa's helper outfit? Well, it's nice. Yeah, I like mm-hmm. it. Yeah. So. But. Oh, it's interesting relating to uh, Rachel Miner here. Like we said that she married Macaulay Culkin, but at this time, Macaulay Culkin was starring in Home Alone, which would become the uh, highest grossing comedy of all time until it was later surpassed um, and uh, was number one at the box office for weeks on end throughout, throughout the holiday season of 1990 and all the way until I believe April or so um, of 91 so it's like just ongoing that is that is quite a coincidence yes yes it's interesting because now that we know that they're married it is interesting seeing the parallels in their careers you know because of course Macaulay Tolkien has one of his biggest roles 
And aside from, well, it's not a huge role, I guess, in Shining Time Station. Uh, I guess her big role would come later in Supernatural. But uh, yeah. But it's well, right, and, and as I said at the time, she was actually on Guiding Light, which was a very popular soap opera. Right, um, so, so it would have been. Was, yeah, and she was actually nominated for some Young Artist Awards for that uh, series. So right, so but she would. I, I should yeah. I should mention that her and Macaulay Culkin divorced in two thousand two. So. Well, yeah, I mean they were only married for four years, so right. Yes. Um, and I, I I have to say, when we started this podcast, I did not think that we would spend a whole lot of time talking about Macaulay Culkin. But there you go. <laughs> As I said, it's it's one of the best uh, pieces of trivia that I never expected to find out. <laughs> so. <sighs> and so finally, we get to the... Uh, almost the end point of the episode where the winner of Santa's secret helper is supposed to be announced. So, um, personally, I would have voted for Stacy. Well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But that's neither here nor there. I do love how whenever Mayor Flopdinger gives a speech, it's very rambly. I mean, of yeah, course, that's one of the defining cool. characteristics of his character. No, absolutely. I think it, he's one of the funnier, you know, townspeople of uh, of Shining Time. Yeah. I always loved when Schemer tries to preempt the announcement as well. That's a good, good bit. <laughs> I have to wonder, um, do you think if it hadn't been so obvious that um, the, that the two kids were, the, the two main kids were getting older and if they hadn't moved to Toronto, that, do you think maybe Vicky and Tucker would have become main characters in season two if they hadn't been replaced by Billy and um, and uh, Ma, um, Dan, Becky, and Kara? That's uh, possible. Um, I'm not sure. I'm sure the move to Toronto had more of an influence on anything than... Uh, on everything than anything else. Oh, definitely, yes. Although, I mean, thank goodness, thank goodness, Judy Khan and Brian O'Connor, um, you know, could still stick with the show and the Flexitoon gang. They could all still stick with the show, right. filming in Toronto instead of in in New York. Right. This is another one of the highlights of the episode. Is this song? It's. And it's one of the rare occasions, I think it's the only occasion in which we hear a, not only a character outside of the jukebox, but basically by the end, the entire cast sing along with the jukebox. Yeah, it's quite nice. So. <sighs> yeah. 
the the snow dusting on her on on the woman's uh, shoulder pads makes me laugh because throughout this episode, we I, I was going to comment comment on it earlier, but I forgot. But throughout this episode, every person who comes in has like the same exact pattern of snow <laughs> sprinkled on their scarf or on their hat <laughs> or on their shoulders, which is funny. It is. Uh, that they were just trying to you know, establish that they were outside. but They had one quite, pattern of snow. Quite amusing. It is. And of course, we see here the departure of Ringo Starr. Uh, that's that was that shot of Ringo in the window was his last scene ever in Shining Time. Yeah, and never to do anything with Thomas, of course, other than his one-off appearance uh, as Thomas for the Children in Need special, um, right? Few few years back, but um, but yep, and then of course we would be introduced to George Carlin, who arguably is a better Mister Conductor, yes. um, than than Ringo Starr. And see, is this the end, which is, for all intents and purposes, the final episode of season one, even though Tizzigas does has a, have a season one production code? I thought at first you were asking me. I'm like, I, I no, think no, no. so. It's almost no, no. the end. But... <laughs> no, no. Is the episode, is this the end, is a great ending. But I think Gift is a better ending to season one. Well, right. Yeah, absolutely. And that final shot of the entire cast of Gift together by the Christmas tree is beautiful. Now we have over the end credits a different ending as well because if I recall correctly in season one the end credits were you know uh, I don't recall the end credits for the original season one but the ending of um, To the Gift of course is a uh, the same train in the snow as earlier but at nighttime. Right. Which is nice that they were able to get, you know, to get footage of that. It's yes. Beautiful steam locomotives. Oh, yes. And, you know, for, for those not familiar with the U.S. and U.S. railroads and, and things like that, or, or Canadian railroads for that matter, there is, really aren't nearly as many steam railroads around um, or steam locomotives in, in service as there are in the U.K. So in the no. U.K., you can you know, throw a rock and hit a heritage railway. But, uh, but here in the U S they're, they're pretty hard to find. So. They are, they are few and far between. Uh, but thankfully we have shining time station, uh, to show us at least one of the Canadian, uh, railways that are left in existence. So, yes. Um, so, uh, that was his gift. Yeah, good good episode. Great ending to season one, or I mean, if you could consider it part of season one. Right. Um, so yeah, I I totally agree. It it was a fantastic episode, uh, and we I I think this is an accomplishment for us, Orion. It's the first time that we've been able to uh, talk through an entire episode of season one of Shining Time Station without <laughs> without terribly many awkward pauses that's that's quite true yes um <laughs> well we hope hope that you enjoyed uh this commentary on tis a gift and really on on you know the the few episodes that we did do commentaries on for season one of shining time station and uh we will certainly be releasing many more episodes throughout 2020 um and and hopefully beyond and if 
uh, if you're listening to this around the holiday season, have a uh, happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Yes, Merry Christmas.